This morning, I want to talk to you about Christ-centered politics. Occasionally, somebody will ask me, and they said, and this usually comes from younger preachers and younger pastors, they'll say, how do you preach on politics? And does the church have anything to say to politics? Uh, should we stay out of politics? Sometimes I'll run into a Christian that says, politics is so dirty, we should never talk about that. And I understand both sides of the coin. I understand why people say what they do. However, politics affects all of us. Politics affects where you live, believe it or not. Politics, you're divided up into voting precincts, and as we just recently saw with acts of Congress and the courts, that even where we live and how we're grouped together in our subdivisions and our communities, Politicians are always trying to work that to their party's favor. Politics affects where your children go to school at. Politics affects the amount of money that's deducted out of our salaries each week as we pay for not only the defense of our country and the governing of our country, but as we pay for many social programs both here and around the world. Politics is not an ignoble profession. It's not a dirty profession. Politics is actually a noble calling. It's people that make it ignoble or dirty or people that make it clean and something that is to be honored. This month, we will celebrate the 33rd anniversary of the American with Disabilities Act. I think the ADA Act has someone that's still legally listed as disabled, but I've never taken advantage of any of the things that are afforded there because God in his mercy brought healing into my life, but I'm still legally classified that way. But I remember the debate, I remember the politics around the, the passing of that, and some of it was nasty, some of it was good, but right there in the middle was something that brought people together. There were real concerns back in 1990. Some of you might not remember that. Some of you weren't even born yet. But during the passage of that act, there was concerns from Christians about the government interfering with how the church did its ministries because there was overreach by some. There was concern by businesses about overreach by some. I had the opportunity to give testimony on some of those issues in a, in a city council meeting and to talk about that and then was invited to talk about that for a certain party's state convention. So I had a little bit of skin in the game on that particular passing at a very grassroots level, at least in our, my home state of Georgia. When the act passed, it was amazing what it accomplished because there were all kinds of things that needed to be redressed. Because our children were rotting, disabled children, as one doctor put it, were rotting away in institutions where there wasn't enough employees to care for them. There was nobody to stimulate them and challenge them and help them think. There were other adults that were disabled that were hidden away from society because nobody didn't want to have to deal with that. There was one little five-year-old child that took off her prosthesis and literally climbed the steps of the Capitol so that she could say that this is what happens to children who didn't have the, the, the parents and the insurance that she had. It was a great day when President Bush signed that law 
and signed that act into law. That's one of those things that I look back upon as an American that I'm proud of our nation for. I'm proud that we took note of the least among these, that we cared about them and we loved them. But then there's another act that despite the opposition of the church and great Christian leaders like Josiah Everett, President Andrew Jackson signed into to law the Indian Removal Act. You've probably heard of the Trail of Tears and 60,000 Native Americans who died on the Trail of Tears to Oklahoma. My great-grandmother was a Native American. She was blessed to be married to my great-grandfather and wasn't a part of that purge, but she was able to stay in Georgia. But the stories that I heard of what happened during that time Sometimes Becky and I have stopped on our vacations, even with our kids, and we've looked at the placards and the stories that are posted across our country about the Trail of Tears, and we took our children to see Under These Hills in Cherokee, North Carolina, because we want our children to grow up, all four of our kids to grow up, to understand that politics has the power to do good, like the Americans with Disabilities Act, and politics has the power to do harm, like the Indian Removal Act that took place. I've been asking people, and I'm going to ask you to do the same this morning on your way out, if you'll just drop off to one of the ushers, take a communications card sometimes during this message, and tell me what concerns you most politically in our nation today. What's the concern that you've had? People have told me things from abortion to people have told me things to overreach by the government. I, I want to know what you think because we're now in that season once the president has declared that he's in the race and once others from the Republican Party have declared they're in the race, we're in that time of the year that some of us have come to dread because politics becomes the dominating conversation in our country and people divide over politics rather than pull together as Americans. People that I've talked to have told me they feel anxiety, they feel outrage, they're just totally cynical about the whole idea of politics. But as Christians, we cannot allow that to become our attitude. First of all, we're not prima donnas. We don't live with our heads stuck in the cloud. We are heavenly minded. That's what makes us earthly good because we know, like we read from Revelation 5 one day, one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and when we stand before him, we want to bring to him the fruit of our labors and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can you say amen to that? And I don't want any of you to go to heaven with a crown the size of a thimble. I want you to go with a crown that is so large that you you can lay at the feet of Jesus that is your good works. But we know that everything on this planet, including politics and politicians and political systems, are infected by sin. But we also know that politics has limited value to express love, to take care, to promote what God says that you and I need to love and seek, and that's justice and mercy and truth and righteousness. As a matter of fact, God says, let it flow like a river across the land. That should be our prayer and what you and I led, lead, live for. Politics led to the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, Disability Act, Politics led to the Indian Removal Act. So what should we do when it comes to this campaign season and politics in America? I want our church to be very involved. Just recently, 
Within the last month, I had the chance to speak privately at their invitation to a group of local politicians and to speak about the things that we as Christians treasure and value and why things like abortion matter to us. We are pro-life for a reason. We are not pro-life because it's Republican or Democrat. We are pro-life because life matters to God. Can you say amen? We are pro-marriage because marriage matters to God. We were created in the image of God. Man and woman, he created us. And so we're talking about not politics as Christians. We're talking about virtues. We're talking about virtues. Would you say that word with me, please? Virtues. And so as Christians, when we address these things, we're not coming as a Republican, a Democrat, a Green Party, independent, or libertarian. And I know that I have certain friends listening this morning. We are talking about virtues. And this is a conviction that all biblical Christians, no matter what their denomination, or whether they're Protestant or whether they're Catholic, all Christians have, only Jesus solves and saves the world's dilemma. And the world's dilemma is the dilemma of sin. Sin that has infected politics, sin that has infected marriages, sin that has infected at times even the church. When the church has had to be corrected and rebuked, we go all the way back to the book of Revelation for that, where Jesus said to one church, you've lost your first love. You do the right things, but you no longer do it out of love for me. He spoke to another church and says, you are rich and you have need of nothing, but you are blind and you are lukewarm, and I will spew you out of my mouth. So we needn't think that just because there's a cross on the building or a cross in the sanctuary or that we look good, smell nice, or vote for the right virtues, that all of a sudden that's automatically pleasing to God. We have to be careful daily to do as our Lord and Savior taught us and pray, Lord, forgive us of our sins. We have to do as we do when we take communion, search our hearts. Some time ago, many years ago now, actually, Becky was speaking one Mother's Day morning. She wanted to illustrate what sin was, and so she had an archer in our church, and I didn't know she was going to do this. I wouldn't have let her done this, and this is probably why she didn't tell me. But there was a target here, right here, where this canoe is sitting on the platform. There was a target here. I'm sitting there just smiling, so proud of my beautiful wife. She was preaching such a powerful message. There was not a pulpit right here because she just wanted to be walking back and forth. And so she was on this side of the building talking about how that sin, the word sin, means to miss the mark. And all of a sudden, I heard a whoosh. And I looked, and there's an arrow just in the middle of a target right there on the platform. I was scared to death. I looked at her, and I thought, we'll talk later. I looked at the archer in the back, and he was beaming with such pride, and everybody gave him a hand and her a hand, and I needed a hand after I had that conversation with her later on. She wanted to illustrate, weren't we all glad he hit the mark? <laughs> You see, it's kind of a generic term, and you miss what it really means. Eight-year-old Ariana Schneeberg was playing in her backyard in Milwaukee when their neighbor, trying to shoot a squirrel with his bow and arrow, shot and missed, and his arrow pierced her from behind, pierced her lungs, pierced her liver, pierced several other organs, and she was in intensive care for a long time. And 
they almost lost her because the arrow missed the mark. And maybe that will help you understand what sin really is. When sin misses the mark, imagine what sin does to a nation. It's like an arrow that's shot on a busy sidewalk in downtown Detroit. It's like an arrow shot in a, in a subdivision where there are 4th of July parties going on. If it misses the mark and it hits somebody, it's going to bring all kinds of damage. We think sometimes, well, if I just miss the mark, it's like getting another target or getting another shot. Friends, sin is deadly. John Owen, Pastor John Owen, one of those Puritan pastors said, kill sin or sin will kill you. That's true, but friends, may I remind you of this, sin will also kill other people around you. I've seen it happen to children. I've seen it happen to marriages. The Bible is not exaggerating when it says the wages of sin is death. And you say, well, how did... Jesus solve this problem of sin. He broke the power of sin by giving his life for you and me. Look at Matthew 27 and verse 46. About three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why is that important? Because God was cut off by our sins. When Jesus died at Calvary for you and me, he was cut off from the presence of God and sin cuts us off from the presence of God. Sin cuts a nation off from the presence of God. Sin cuts a business off from the presence of God. We need to understand this is the dilemma of the world. And that's why the mission and the message of the church, no matter what their denomination, is so vital and important. Because unless we preach the gospel, unless we share the love of Jesus Christ, not in a condemning way, but in a loving, sacrificial way that Jesus did, who even while his enemies were crucifying him, pled for them saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is not a matter about being holier than thou or superior or better than somebody else. We are all sinners saved by grace. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for what he did for us this morning? So, Pastor, what does this have to do with politics? Well, I'm getting there, so just hold on. You see, what Jesus calls us to is a zealous civility. A zealous civility. That word is important to me, zealous. The other word is civility too. When I hear about families and when I hear about communities being divided over politics and over presidential candidates, it grieves me and it breaks my heart. When people can't get together for Thanksgiving or Christmas or a holiday like Fourth of July without fighting with one another. You see, Godly politics, Christ-centered politics, listen, Christ-centered politics from a Christian's point of view is we are seeking to bless our neighbor. We're seeking to bless them. And to bless our neighbor doesn't mean giving in to sin or giving in to unrighteousness. The early church didn't have any political power. Believe it or not, Christians still have a tremendous amount of political power in this nation. The early church didn't own land. They didn't own church buildings. They were routinely persecuted. They were mocked. They were thrown into prison. They were murdered. But Peter cast a vision. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Zealous for what is good. You say, Pastor, what is civility? I think we all know it. I think we all know what it means. But it's more than politeness. It's more than just simply trying to be nice. But it's an expression of wanting good for our neighbor publicly by the things that we say and do. And according to Peter, what I just read to you, it's not optional. It's not optional even when I disagree with somebody on policy or when I disagree with them on their, politi- on their politics. If they play dirty, that doesn't mean I go, well, the gloves are coming off now, buddy, and I'm going to be just like you. No, instead, we remain like our Savior and our Lord because there's much more influence that way. People are still talking about Jesus today. People are worshiping Jesus. People are gathering all around this planet to worship our Lord and Savior, the followers of Jesus Christ. People are laying down their lives for Jesus in some countries, but nobody is worshiping Nero today. Can you say amen? Never, never fall for the trap of being like this world. Peter says when the world is losing its mind, you can't lose your mind. Peter is saying when the world has lost its soul, you can't lose your soul. So what does civility, what does zealous civility look like? It doesn't mean be chill. It doesn't mean just kick your feet back. That word zealous is a powerful word. Zealous means that you have strong feelings. Zealous means you've got energetic activity. I want to be zealous for the Lord. I am zealous for Becky. I am zealous for this church. I am jealous for the name of the Lord. I am jealous for my wife's honor. I am jealous for the honor of this church. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for my wife or my family or our church because that zeal of the Lord consumes us. I pray it consumes you. Zealous means to be boiling. Think about putting a kettle on the stove to boil water for tea. You put the kettle on the stove and you turn the flame up underneath it and in a few minutes that water begins to dance and that water begins to bubble and then all of a sudden power begins to come and that kettle begins to whistle and no matter where you are in your house or how large your home is, you hear the whistle of that kettle and the fire of the Holy Ghost is what gives us the zealousness. It gives us the power. It gives us the dance. It gives us the bubble. It gives us a song in the midnight hour. I want the zealousness of the Holy Spirit in our congregation. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because that zealousness means we flourish in our marriages. We flourish in raising our children. We flourish in our care of families. We flourish when it comes to people matter to God. They matter to us. We flourish in racial unity. We flourish in freedom. It's a fierce, zealous civility. And yet we have entered into a time in our nation where one political professor says that we have entered a time of political contempt. It's the air we breathe. And he says the political contempt in our nation has poisoned us. Did any of you have any problems with breathing this last week? Did any of you stay inside because the air was so poisonous? 
Did any of you have asthma or some underlying health condition? I've had perfectly healthy people tell me I felt it in my lungs, my throat burns. We breathed in poisons from the, from the wildfires and from the pollutants that haven't been able to escape. At one point, we were in the hazardous area here in the downriver area because of, of the pollution that was in the air. That contempt is more dangerous than the wildfire particles that have been spilling over. A recent survey asked Republicans and Democrats whether they agreed with this statement. Members of the opposition party are downright evil. Let me say that again. This was the statement in the survey. Members of the opposition party are downright evil. Listen to this. This is shocking. More out of four, more than four out of ten agreed with that statement. That means over 40% of our nation that was surveyed said members of the other party are downright evil. One out of five Republicans and the Democrats agreed with the statement that the other side lacks traits to be considered fully human. They act like animals. So that means Democrats are saying Republicans act like animals, and Republicans are saying Democrats act like animals. And it gets worse, the same survey. Do you ever think we'd be better off as a country if large numbers of the other party just died? 20% agreed with that statement. So no matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, there are people out there wishing you would die today. That's why this message matters, and that's why it matters as a church that somehow or another that we bring the gospel through our lives and our witness and our testimony. We want to breathe out. We want to speak an air of blessing because when you speak, you are breathing out. When you speak, you are breathing words, and the Bible tells us there is power in our words. There is life and death in our words. There is power of life and death in our tongues. You and I have the ability to speak death, or we can speak the blessings of God that bring life into our community and in our subdivisions, in our schools, and in our families. Somebody say amen this morning. It's the air we breathe. It's why Peter would also go on to say, don't repay evil with evil, but instead, he says, pay evil back with a blessing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12 says, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and a sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we've conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. You see, there is power when we live like Jesus. When we speak like Jesus, we lose our power when we take off the gloves and act like the world. Justice Anton Scalia always fascinated me. I loved to hear him talk. I had watched a number of his speeches that he gave. But after he died, I didn't realize that he and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg were such good friends. And I found myself wondering, how could people on two polar opposites of the spectrum, he a devout Roman Catholic, she a secular liberal Jewish woman. One day, one of Justice 
Scalia's colleagues walked into his office and there was a, there was a bouquet of roses in his office and, and as they were leaving, Justice Scalia said, oh, I've got to get these roses to Ruth. And he said, Ruth who? And he says, Justice Ginsburg. And his colleague looked at him and says, well, what good have those roses ever done you in getting her to side with you? He said, it's not a matter about getting her to side with me. It's a matter of friendship. It's a matter of showing her that I care. You see, I thought that was a great expression. I thought that was a great expression of Christ-like love. Because the world says, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Some of you, maybe you give because you feel like if you give, God will give back to you. Some of you just love the Lord and you love to give. Some of you, you give because it feels good to give. Some of you, you give sacrificially when it hurts because you love the Lord and you just love to give. It's not that any of those motivations are wrong, but I think that you will all agree with me that the pure of the motivation is we give because we love. So let me ask you a question today. Who among your friends who disagree with you politically needs a bouquet of roses? Not literally a bouquet of roses, but a kind word, a letter. What would open a door for you? Because when you speak words that are filled with the love of Jesus and you pray for your, not only your friends, but your enemies, you can expect God to move. Now make no mistake about in all that I've said, because Jesus demonstrates, even as I read to you from book of, the book of Revelation chapter five and quoted from two of his seven letters to the churches, he demonstrates that the church matters. The church matters. And it's not whether or not the church is going to survive whatever happens in America, the church will survive. There may be denominations that deny the word of the Lord. There may be denominations that deny the virgin birth of Christ. There may be denominations that go just the opposite way of what God calls. But you see, the true church is those people who put their faith in Jesus. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist card, a Catholic card, a Methodist card, Assemblies of God card. There's only going to be people who are passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Some time ago, I had the privilege of preaching and ministering in Ethiopia. There are churches there that you just would not imagine how poor and impoverished they are, but how much they love the Lord. You've read about the crisis. You've read about the persecutions that took place there. And I've shared this before, but in one particular church where persecution happens from fundamentalistic Islamic groups that come in, trying to, to intimidate people. They have taught the children, when that happens, you run, you scream, you run to the church, because if you run to the church, you will find a place of safety. If you run to the church, you'll find a place of love. If you've run to the church, you'll find a place of security. If you run to the church, we will protect you. We will lay down our lives for you. Would that that would be the message of Woodland Church to our community. When things go bad, run to the church, because we love you, we care for you. Cry out for help. 
the people of God will not turn a deaf ear because our Lord and our Savior calls us to lay down our lives for one another. Lost people matter to God. Can you say amen? This is what he's called us to be. Therefore, excuse me, in Ephesians 3.10, through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Do you know, I believe Woodland is talked about among the angels today. Not necessarily for what's happening here this morning, but as you go out and serve the Lord I think the angels of heaven take note of that based upon this verse of scripture and they say, did you see what Jerry did? Did you see what Ruth did? Did you see what Calvin did? Did you see how they ministered? Woodland is being the church. The church matters. So how do we equip and how do we serve? In Acts 2.42, the Bible says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Look at these four things. Circle in your outline, if you would. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. I'll go over them again. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. As we teach the Word of God, as I preach the Word of God, following a tradition that goes all the way back to the book of Acts, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the Word of God. The teaching is to equip the church. And I'm pleading with you this morning, not just listen to this message today, but go online, download it to your phone, listen to it in your car as you travel, listen to this message until it gets deep into your heart about what a Christ-centered politic, political view is all about. So as we enter this season, we do not become jaded, we do not become bitter, and we do not become divided because we want the blessings of God upon America. And if I understand the scripture correctly, the blessings of God come upon any nation when the people of God humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek the face of the Lord. That's the critical component. So the fellowship, you matter to us. We matter to one another. Yes, lost people matter to God, but you matter to God, and we matter to one another. We're in this thing together it's not, all oh, if this one perishes or that one. We're in this thing together. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when we take the communion, we share in the body and the blood of our Lord, and we know that God answers prayers. Can you say amen? One more verse of Scripture, and then I'm going to go through the growth work quickly. Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians, and he says this, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. In other words, the church really does matter. The church is central. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by, what he, by which he feels everything with his presence. Nero, for all of his torment, for all of his killing of babies and children, for all of his torture of Christians, Nero knows today that he really didn't matter. That those that he persecuted, the body of Christ, they were what was central and they was what peripheral. On our 25th wedding anniversary, Becky and I flew to Rome. I remember it as one of the most 
wonderful trips we've ever made. And there, the, many of you have read the stories and novels written by Frank Peretti. His brother, Terry, and his wife, Marcia, are Assemblies of God missionaries in Rome. And there, Terry and Marcia met us, and they took us on so many tours around Rome, and we saw things that we never got to see. But I remember we stood at the end of the Praetorian Road where Paul would have come all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And there he witnessed to Nero. And there he preached the gospel. Politics can either be noble or it can be good. Politics has been infected by sin like every other organization. But after Nero had heard the gospel, he condemned Paul to death. And right across that ancient way was the maritime prison where Paul was martyred for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may look at times like the Neros of this world and their evil are in charge. But Fox was right. The blood of the martyrs cries louder from the ground than any sermon you or I could ever preach. The church matters. We are the salt and the light of this world. So let me go over some things and I just want to say this, and let me be, I'm stepping out of the message for just a second. Let me bring my pastor staff out of my office and let me hold this here for just a moment. I feel a little bit like Gandalf. Boom, I want to pop that thing down and lightning and everything else flash so that you'll listen. I give you growth work because I expect you to do it. I give you growth work because if you do it, you will put this message into practice. I give you growth work, and if you will do it, it will enrich your life, it will enrich your family, and it will enrich the world around you. Can you say amen? I don't give you homework because nobody likes homework. I give you growth work because we all want to grow. If you want to grow, say a big amen this morning. Okay, I put the staff back up. Here's your growth work this morning. Number one, share biblical truth. Be saturated with the Bible so that when you have the opportunity, unexpected like I recently had, you can speak from the Word of God and say, this is what God says. This is what the Bible says. And your words have power when you speak the Word of God. The Word of God is not like quoting Shakespeare. The Word of God is not like quoting the latest novel or political book. The Word of God is living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces into the heart, and the Word of God will accomplish what God sent it to do. Can you say amen this morning? All of that was Scripture quoted to you just now. Let's give him a hand of praise for that. <laughs> Secondly, and because I'm out of time, walk and talk and live with humility. Walk and talk. The Bible says of Nebuchadnezzar that when he became proud and stubborn, his glorious kingdom was taken from him. James 4 and verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Do not be in all of proud, haughty politicians. You walk and live like Jesus and your life will speak as well as the Word of God will speak. Number three, make a lifetime commitment to making disciples or passionate followers of Christ. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. 
Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings. Would you read this verse of scripture with me this morning because it is just so powerful. Let's begin, when I am with those who are weak. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Last week, Becky and I were invited to lunch with someone that we haven't seen in years. Came to town and they called and said, would you have lunch with us? So we we're talking about a particularly painful moment. My mind snapped back to something well over 20 years ago when we had this conversation. I said, do you remember the day you came to see me in my study at Woodland? And I said, let's try to find common ground where we agree. And all of a sudden, the light popped on in their head, and they said, you remember that? I go, of course I remember that. Because finding common ground led to a spiritual miracle and rebirth in their life. Never think you have to be a bulldozer. Never think you have to be more powerful. Find your place in Jesus, and you will find infinite power as you seek to find common ground. Can you say amen? Pray, pray, pray for the church, pray for our nation, pray for me, pray for one another. And then finally, act in love. I told you that above my goals every year, I put this verse of scripture, let all that you do be done in love. And my prayer this morning is that you have felt loved. My prayer this morning is that I have served you in love. My prayer this morning is that I have prayed for you in love. And my prayer is that as we go forth from this place, we may not, we will not agree with many on policies that they advocate for, but we will not take off the gloves and act like the world. We will take up our cross and we will follow Jesus Christ and the Nero's of this world will perish, but the church will be triumphant. Can you say amen? Stand with me this morning if you would. Now, Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize the power of politics to do good, like the Americans with Disability Act. We recognize the power of politics to do evil, Lord, like the Trail of Tears. We recognize, Lord, the confusion that our world gets into when the church doesn't speak with one voice. So we ask you, convict your church and your people. We are not Republicans and Democrats or independents first and foremost. We are not even Americans first and foremost. We are servants of Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High King, born again and washed in the blood, heaven-bound. So I pray that the zeal of the Lord, that the fire of the Holy Ghost will burn 
burn, burn underneath us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or you've never committed your life to Christ, or maybe you've even thought about Christians as being a political movement, we are not a political movement. We're all about Jesus. And this Christ who died for our sins, died for your sins. And if you trust him, you will find life, purpose, meaning. You will find joy and freedom and forgiveness from everything that is destroying you because Christ has solved the dilemma of your life and he has solved the dilemma of my life by giving his life for you and me. So if that bears witness with you and you're ready to do that, would you pray this prayer with me online and in this building today? Say, Jesus, thank you for giving me your life in exchange for my life. Thank you for giving me your love for my hatred. Thank you, Lord, for giving me your freedom for my slavery. Thank you, Lord, for shedding your blood so that my sins could be washed away. Today, I commit my life to you 100%, and I receive your forgiveness of my sins. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And while heads are still bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift up your hands this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me this week. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for these that are committing their lives to Jesus today? <laughs> Hallelujah. On Psalms chapter 20, these are the words that I bless you with from the word of the Lord. In the times of trouble... May the Lord answer your cry. May the God of Jacob and Israel protect you from all harm. May he send you help from his holy presence. May he remember all of your gifts and look favorably upon your offerings. And may he grant you your hearts and, des and your, your desires. And we will shout for joy when we hear of the victories that God has given to you and raise a shout of praise in the name of the Lord our God. That's Psalms 25 if you want to read it later. God bless you. Go in peace this morning.